everybody. My name is Carla Rowell, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm just really delighted to be here. I want to thank Don and Ken for having me out here to share with you guys tonight. It is always a privilege to be able to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I've been saying that and meaning it for 31 years. My sobriety date is September 25, 1987. And in uh, just a couple more days, I'll be able to say I'm 32. Uh, but uh, not yet. And uh, my husband likes you to know that he's three months longer sober than I am. Uh, whenever we get into an argument, he'll say, oh, honey, just wait three months. You'll understand. And, uh, and I just tell him that they're man months, so we're kind of even still. But uh, <laughs> only half the room ever likes that joke. <laughs> And I, uh, uh, I want to thank my friends for coming out, too. It's so nice. And my friend Cindy for meeting me for coffee early, uh, earlier. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the instructions, the, uh, the basic text for our group, the basic text for our, for our uh, program is in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Those are the instructions from the doctor's opinion um, all the way to uh, where essentially even... Uh, Dr. Bob's story starts, but uh, uh, those are the instructions. And, and then the basis of our fellowship is one alcoholic talking to another. It's how it started. It's when, uh, you know, Dr. Bob, doc, or Bill Wilson, actually, when uh, he visited Dr. Bob, and Dr. Bob had been up to here with, uh, with spiritual principles and knowing all about, uh, you know, God and all of those things. And, and Bill said, yeah, but this is what, I hap what happens to me when I drink. And and this is what happens to me when I stop drinking, because drinking was so, so much my solution. You know, something to that effect, because I wasn't there. But, uh, uh, and Dr. Bob said, you know, yeah, you know, that happens to me too. He said, when, when he was going to meet with, with uh, Bill, he said, I'll give that guy 15 minutes. And those guys ended up talking for six hours, because there was so much of that, yeah, me too, and that, uh-huh, me too, me too. So I hope that somewhere along the line, uh, while you're either in treatment or somewhere along the line attending meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous or somewhere along the line when you've gotten in the car that one more time when you didn't feel like it and you sat with that person you thought you couldn't stand if that person tells that story one more time, you know, somewhere along the line you'll hit that me too. But I want to say this too because I think it's really important these days and that is if Alcoholics Anonymous, if alcoholism is not your problem, there are almost 300 fellowships that use our steps, our solution, and the basis of those fellowships are based on what might be uh, another completely different problem. And we're, we're here to help. We can, we can help you find that too. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous is for alcoholics. And, um, and if you're not, we don't want you to die in the seats. We want you to find out where you identify. So if this is really not you, don't be afraid to tell that truth too. And, we can help with that. Um, anyway, uh, if you're confused, see me after. <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, you know, I used to think that my alcoholism came from my uh, crazy, dark, dramatic, violent, perverted family. If you had my family, you'd drink too. You know, there are all kinds of definitions of alcoholism floating around, and I, and and uh, I still believe that the best description of alcoholism is on page 44 in our big book where it says, uh, if when you honestly want to find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. 
If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. If that's you, welcome. We have a solution for that. And, uh, you know, everything beyond that is window dressing. My circumstances, all of that, uh, the consequences of my drinking, the evidence of my alcoholism, all of those things we may have different. But those things, those two things, not being able to stop and not being able to uh, stay stopped, those two things, if that is you, that is the, uh, that is the essence of alcoholism. And... Uh, and, you know, I've paid attention. You know, I've, uh, I've been around a while, and I know that, uh, you know, there are people who live charm childhoods. They didn't have the childhood I had. And uh, like people like my husband, who, uh, you know, he, in his family, they grew up loving each other and singing together. And, you know, his father painted the family pickup truck uh, the color of his high school. You know, he was that family. And... Uh, and he sits right next to me in the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, different circumstances, but alcohol did exactly foreign to him what it did foreign to me. And, uh, and so when we're talking about the insanity of alcoholism, we're not talking about all the things we did. My sponsor today, she'll tell you that she never went very far anywhere. You know, she, uh, she said that drinking and taking, taking downers, you know, the farthest she could ever get was her ouch, you know. <laughs> So her, her circumstances were completely different than mine. I left home at a very early age. I started to be institutionalized and locked up when I was 13 years old. I turned my first trick in San Francisco when I was 14. All evidence of alcoholism, possibly. Other girls have landed in, in those situations without being alcoholics. You know, so I need to bring it back to the essence of what happens to me when I take a drink of alcohol. It was always my solution. And when I take that drink of alcohol, something happens. And alcohol, for me, created and preserved illusions for a long time. A lot of that stuff may, may or may not have happened to me. Like Dr. Silkworth says, after a time, we can't differentiate the true from the false. After a while, our alcoholic lives seem the only normal one, and it certainly seemed that way for me. So I'm just going to get back to my story. And I just, I'm glad that I'm surrendered and conceded to the fact that I'm an alcoholic. And the most insane thing I will ever do or had ever done is stone cold sober, knowing full well what might or might not happen if I pick up and take that drink was to drink it anyway. That's the insanity of alcoholism. And uh, we have a solution for this. And so pick up that big book and please, you know, read the big book with your sponsor, but read your own big book. Read it, read it, read it. Own it. Find yourself in that big book. Um, and... Uh, uh, well, I'll just tell you a little bit. You know, I, uh, I got my first social resentment behind a game of spin the bottle. And uh, I know they don't even play that game these days. They just get right down to business, don't they? They just zoom right past. And uh, I was at my friend Leonard's house uh, uh, one afternoon. We, it was that summer going up into junior high. And uh, a few friends of mine and I were uh, spinning the bottle and passing around a bottle of his dad's whiskey. And now these weren't the first drinks I ever took, but these were the ones where I really started to put together that alcohol did something for me I couldn't do for myself. And we spun that bottle, and I went off into the bedroom with one of the boys, and we were both doing the same thing as far as I could tell. But when we came back out of that bedroom, they called him a player and me a slut. And I did not think that was fair. <laughs> I still don't think it's fair if you want to know the truth. But every sponsor I've ever had has told me that the fair is in Pomona, and it lasts two weeks. That's all you get for fair. I just didn't understand, you know, stuff had happened to me as a kid. I didn't, and this was not alcoholism. This was, you know, the, the re, uh, results of, of 
being molested as a child from, from, uh, uh, from a family member and babysitters, boyfriends, and all kinds of things like that. So I kept bumping up against the morality of the people around me. And if I hadn't been so self-centered, I might have asked a few questions and found out that there were girls doing way more than I was, you know. But instead, what I did was I just kept drinking. I started spending more time in the girls' room than I did in the classroom and hanging out with the other girls who were doing the same thing. And the difference between me and a non-alcoholic is the fact that when I took that drink, it worked. It did something for me that it does not do for non-alcoholics. And I still get fascinated at the difference between non-alcoholic drinking and alcoholic drinking. You know, I just think it's very, very interesting how a non-alcoholic can not even not feel a thing when they say, no, thank you. I'd not like a margarita tonight. No, thank you. I won't have a shot of tequila. No, thank you. And they do not think about it trailing all the way out to the car. You know, why didn't I take it? How long till the next one? You know, they just don't do that. But me, what I found that, that early on for me, I know that there are people who come into AA later in life having built and lost great empires. I know that there are people like that. I know that there are people who will never outdrink their wealth. They will be so sheltered from the, and insulated from the consequences of their, of their drinking by their money that, that, and yet dying of alcoholism just as much. So you, it, it just doesn't, you can't see it as readily as you could see it on me. And I, and I, I started young, like I said. Um, so I, and I started leaving home. I started to take, you know, I've always been kind of a type A, I roll up my sleeves, take over the management of my life kind of person, you know, and I believed in God. Since I was a, a small child, I believed that there was some great power that runs in and around and through us. I've always believed in that. But I could never, when some challenge would come down in our family, I didn't realize it, but I was the one pulling the shade down between me and the sunlight of the spirit. I was doing that. It was like, nope, I guess I've got this one. Roll up my sleeves and take over. You know, and when, when alcohol intervened in my life, I, took, I started taking those drinks. Man, it did everything for me, and I let it. It became my spirituality. It became my growing up muscle. It became the thing that made me feel buffered from you and the thing that made me feel connected to you all at the same time. Why wouldn't I? It became the higher power that when I'd pray and I took a drink, man, the drink was so much quicker, right? Got my answer right now. And after a while, after a few of those, I didn't even care. So I started to leave home. My favorite place to be back then was on my way to somewhere else, and I love that place. And like I told you, I ended up in San Francisco turning tricks on the street up there, in the, uh, starting off in uh, North Beach and ending up in the Tenderloin. And, and uh, uh, it didn't take very long. And uh, I was letting old men stick needles in my arms. And, and, uh, and you know, it's funny, but I, I, uh, I drank my way out of all of those circumstances. You know, I drank my way through them. I drank my way through homelessness and through drug addiction and through, and alcohol was the last thing I, the last thing I let go of and I just couldn't. And it just didn't seem to me that it couldn't, can't be the alcohol. It can't be the alcohol. Alcohol is for wusses, you know. It, it's like, it can't be. And yet it had a hold on me so, it just had a hold on me. I couldn't let go without help. Everything else I walked through. And A year later, I was being admitted to a mental hospital, and they were not talking to me a lot about alcoholism. They were talking to me about disorders. I was a very disordered-looking child, 
alternately violent and withdrawn and living with a level of frustration down in my gut I didn't know how to talk about. In fact, it wasn't until I got to AA almost 15 years later that I heard a tape of who I now know was Cubby Selby talking about feeling like a scream looking for a mouth. And I thought, oh my God, you know. You know. And this was not a treatment center, it was a mental hospital. And a lot of my roommates had real illnesses, illnesses like manic depression and schizophrenia, the real thing. And those things stand above, beyond, besides alcoholism. They are not the same thing. But with no booze, with no steps or fellowship or God in my understanding, it took a little while to sort that out. I look a lot like them. So they're giving me daily nutritional supplements, a Thorazine, Melaril, Valium, Dalmain sleepers. And I just want to tell you, you know, that it just took so long. And by the time I got to AA, it wasn't that I wasn't surrendered to my illness. It was that I just didn't know if AA was going to be big enough. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to trust these these 12 little thinly veiled Sunday school sentences to hold me up the way that I knew I needed to be, to hold me up in those times of spiritual uh, thirst, which, by the way, is not exclusive to alcoholism. Being a spiritually thirsty is not alcoholism in itself, but when I quenched it with alcohol and it worked, that's alcoholism. And you take that away and I'm thirsty again and I can't, I, 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 I try to replace it with, with, uh, uh, with anything that out there that looked better than I felt, right? Always about half a bubble off what it was I thought that might fix me. Like I'd mistake arrogance for confidence and sex for love and brute strength for strength of character. I always thought I'd find it in those simmering, angry guys, right? You know who you are. I, I know you're in this room tonight, some of you. I can see the smoke curling up from the corners. I see you. used to find you very exciting. Now, today I know that feeling is fear. <laughs> so I stay away. But all of that felt like power, like some kind of power. And like I said, alcohol created and preserved those illusions. And I kept going out there for what I thought would fix me. And every spiritual tradition that I practice, including Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, he sa it says to look within that deep down inside every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. In the last analysis, it's only there you may be found, that, that spirit of the universe, that, uh, uh, that intangible quality, that uh, creative intelligence. It's within. They say, look within, within. Here it is. And I had to come here on my knees and done, willing to let go of the alcohol and not knowing what I was walking into. And it took a long time. And I ended up living on the street. I'm the kind of, a, I'm the kind of an alcoholic who sleeps by the side of the road and calls it camping. You know, I just like, I think I'm on a spiritual quest and I'm delusional. <laughs> you know, and uh, after I got out of those institutions, when I ran away from the last one when I was 17 and I took off for Oregon, I was always, you know, Heading for those people that those oh, those people of the 60s, you know, I love that idea of peace and love and that unity they used to demonstrate, and and I thought that's what I was I thought I was going to find that, and and uh, and I ended up hooking up with another guy from another uh, rehab because that's where they keep the boyfriends, and and uh, <laughs> and I just kept or or partners, you know, whoever you're looking for, they got them all, and. Uh, and we were loving the idea of peace and love and all that stuff. We just couldn't stop knocking the hell out of each other really long enough to implement the principles fully of peace and love. And so we pitched a tent in the mountains in southern Oregon, and we lived there till the rains came, and then we moved into a roofless cabin just north of Grants Pass. And 
found this old log cabin and uh, threw a plastic tarp over the top and called it a skylight. And our spiritual advisor was the guy who lived up the hill in the plastic tent. And, uh, and you know, brilliant things were happening at that time. You know, brilliant things about energy and space and, and uh, uh, medicine and, and uh, holistic healing and all these beautiful things were happening. And I couldn't be a part of it because I was drunk. I couldn't be a part of it because I kept, the more I tried to be a part of it, the more I tried to come in, the, the, <laughs> the very things that I were putting in my body to try to connect were the very things that were keeping me separate. And then you take the alcohol away and now it's just me that keeps me separate. But we got a program for that and that's what these steps do. And I don't know what your period of grace in, the obsession to drink alcohol was not lifted for me when I first got here. You know, the allergy was arrested because I wasn't drinking anymore, but the obsession to drink lasted about nine more months. And, uh, and I don't know what your period of grace is, but that's what it was for me. And it, and it was finally lifted in the middle of my making amends to my family. And uh, where, that's where it started. And I realized that it had been a few days since that horrible obsession to drink alcohol was finally, finally gone. And it hasn't returned for me. And I've heard it can, but now I know how to keep myself safe. And that's what I've heard them do when the... When the uh, Obsession returns, we stay close. If you're new though, I know we got a lot of newcomers in this room tonight and if white knuckle sobriety is all you have, you hang on to that. That You hang on to that, that's all I can say. It's better than being out there trying to get back across the threshold. What you got is enough for today. And uh, uh, some, days, uh, some days the chant is just uh, come on midnight. You know, I heard an old timer say one time. And <clears throat> So we had this little girl, and by that now we're drinking uh, homemade wine and moonshine because they're organic and much better for you. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking that this little girl is going to change the way I drank. You know, now I'm getting my clothes and shoes and the necessities of life out of a box behind a store in town, and I think I'm going to be a better parent than the one I had because I'm delusional. And uh, she got in the way of one of our fights when she was about 10 months old, and I had to take her up the road where it's got to be better somewhere else. And uh, and so up until then, I was unable to get into the marketplace. I was unable to hold any kind of job, unable to do any of that, and now it was time. And my first legitimate work was in the bars. And it never occurred to me not to drink on the job. Why else would you have that job? And, uh, and I drugged that kid from pillar to post and across three states. Three states and, and finally, we landed in Covina um, at renting a room for my aunt, and she was almost four years old. And every afternoon, I'd kiss her goodbye, and I'd take off for Hollywood, which was where my new job was, tending bar again. And uh, every afternoon, I'd kiss her goodbye, and I'd take off for the bar, and I'd get thirsty right about Arcadia, about halfway, and I'd pull in onto Huntington Drive and into the parking lot of the first cabin, and I'd order up my shots of Corvo Gold and Bud Backs and drink those and get up off the bar stool and go tend bar till the wee hours of the morning. And crawl home after it all and start all over again. And one afternoon, after a few months of that, I kissed my girl goodbye like I had been doing, and I took off for the bar in Hollywood, and I got thirsty again right about Arcadia, pulled in onto Huntington Drive, same parking lot, same of uh, first cab, and pulled in there, walk up to the bar, order up the same shots of gold and same Bud Backs, and to this day, I don't know what was different on that day from the day before except for 24 hours because I didn't hate the job I was going to, and I didn't love my daughter any less than I love her today. But I sat on that bar stool this day, and I drank those drinks, and this time I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop long enough to get up and go see about the job in Hollywood, and I couldn't get up long enough and go see about the kid. 
and I sat on the bar stool and I lost them both in one fell swoop. The kid and the job were gone. And I stayed and I lived off the kindness of strangers there in, in that little area until I fell into another job at another dive bar. And I had to stop calling the kid to find out how she was doing because she kept asking me those hard questions like, Mommy, when are you coming to get me? And I had no answer for that. And I love this beautiful little understatement that Bill uses that I know we all have our own version of too, no matter what our circumstances, high bottom, low bottom, no matter where you are in the cycle. But we all know what this means. Gradually things got worse. And I married my drinking partner thinking maybe if I moved indoors and made my life look like I thought yours was, maybe that would do it. And he and I got married about the time we should have split up and we moved into that apartment and we became the neighborhood entertainment. We used to settle our arguments with a shotgun, and whoever got to the gun first won. That's how we rolled. I went to my first AA meeting with black eyes and broken ribs again and again and again. And I have a friend who says it wasn't so much the yets that bothered him. It was the oh, no, not again, not again, not again. And I went to my first AA meeting that, uh, that this one time, and... and uh, and I heard the woman speaker say that somewhere during her drinking career she switched to beer. So I did. After all, the representative from Alcoholics Anonymous seemed to highly recommend it. I didn't really believe that beer was actually drinking anyway. You know, it was uh, seemed to me to be more like a whole grain breakfast food, if you ask me. <laughs> and, uh, and I drank for another couple of years. I got the kid back when she was eight and a half, and I didn't stop drinking until was, she was almost ten. And... Uh, it was one more Saturday afternoon. The cops are in the driveway one more time. The neighbors are watching us one more time. The kid's scared to death in the corner one more time. And I can't tell her it's going to be any different because nobody planned that day again. We all got up thinking, if everybody will be cool, we'll all just be okay. One more time. The cops left. They took the gun. The husband left for the last time. It's me and the kid and the booze, and I can't stop drinking. And here's where a hard drinker might take a look at their life and say, I'm really tired of this. A hard drinker might say, you know, I'm going to go off to detox, get a little help with that, and then they'd come back, they'd go back to work, they'd have a story to tell if somebody asked them, but they would move on with their life. That's a hard drinker. What I did was I just pulled the 12-pack closer to the couch so I don't have to keep getting up to get another drink because I drank through my circumstances. I drank through them. My first sponsor told me if I wanted to affect a conscious contact with a power greater than myself, I could start by counting the coincidences that happened in my life. One of the first ones I could count was that I had moved in next door to a woman who had five years of sobriety in AA. And she had seen and heard that whole deal go down, and a couple days later she brought me a big book and a 12 and 12, and she knocked on my door, and I let her in this time. And after we were done, you know, what I realized was that, you know, she talked about her drinking, and in her story I heard me. I heard my drinking. And I had also seen with my own eyes that she wasn't drinking anymore. And what, over the last year, what had impressed me more about that was it didn't seem to bother her that she wasn't drinking. And that got my attention. I don't know how you do that. Because when I had no booze and I had no steps or fellowship or God in my understanding, I felt like you stripped the coating off my wires. You know, I felt oversensitive and underloved, and I didn't know what you meant by that or why you looked at me that way. And my self-centered head closed in on me from there. So much so that even though I know what I know by, that, by now, I didn't understand it was a phenomenon of craving. But I could have told you, I don't know if I'm going to have two or 22, I knew that. Even though I know that the window of relief has gotten really, really small. And even though I know that, that uh, uh, I no longer had to invite trouble, it seemed to come to visit unsolicited. 
even though I knew all those things, there was going to come a moment where there was going to be nothing that stood between me and the first one and that it would take the next. I knew that. And I still didn't know if her 12 little thinly veiled Sunday school sentences were going to have any effect on me in the face of what I'd become. And she left, and it was about a week and a half later, I just shook it out at home. There was nowhere left for me to go. People had been trying to help me all my life. And I shook it out and uh, into Monday and into Tuesday. And uh, by Tuesday afternoon, I, my, I went back to my neighbor instead of the store. And I, so many times I jumped through the window of grace without even thinking. And most of, the, most of the new things I've had to learn in AA have been just like that, holding my nose and closing my eyes and just jumping. You know, and I went back to my neighbor, and she sent me up to a meeting in Sierra Madre, and that became my first home group. And I went in, and I sat way back by the open door and the exit sign, and still not sure. And I did that day after day after day, two and three meetings a day, and and uh, uh, and the obsession still really, really alive. But getting a sponsor and and taking these little jobs and becoming a part of a group, and you know, being becoming a part of a, dr a group, and oh, we're not a glum lot. I didn't care if you were a glum lot. I really didn't. I didn't care. But paying rent for more than a month in a row sounded really good. I needed to learn how to do that. How can I focus? How can I? And I knew it was about. It was a. For me, it was about having to let go of the drink. If I start to drink, I'm gonna die. It's all going away again. I was up for the last bob, you know, one more time. And, uh, and, like, and I, I, got my, I got a sponsor, and I, and I was just staying really close. And, uh, and I probably didn't, I don't think I slept for the whole first year of sobriety, and my apartment got really clean. And, you know, and I always had just enough. And there was this old guy named Gus in there who used to talk about being grateful for the here, what I have in the here and now. He'd pull his truck over and say, is there gas in the truck? You know, is there food in my belly? Is there a roof over my head? And, and uh, do I have everything I need right now in this moment? And those little things always helped. The other thing was my... Uh, the, the man who would become my second sponsor used to share. He used to always open his talks with... Uh, He'd say, uh, his name was Lee, and he just passed away with 37 years of sobriety. And he'd always say, uh, well, I drove all over this town, and I didn't see anybody I wanted to be, and I didn't have to take a drink of whiskey. And I wanted what he had. You know, it just how easy to be. How easy to be in my own feet, just like that. And, uh, and like I told you, right about nine months sober, uh, the obsession was lifted. I made that first round of amends to my family. For my family and I, there was a long period of reconstruction ahead. So if you're new and they're not handing you back the big keys to the big car yet, you know, hang in there. It's okay. It, it's it's got to be okay that, they, that that never happens. But truly, you know, a day at a time. And... Uh, <clears throat> After that, other women started to ask me to sponsor them, and I got to tell you, the only fifth step I like better than mine is yours. Because yeah. in your eyes, I see forgivability and redeemability and hope and growth where I don't always see it in myself. After a couple of years, I had had you guys, and my daughter didn't have anybody. She was 11 years old. She's starting to come home beat up and bloody. She's been jumped into a gang, and she's starting to find her sense of family and camaraderie out in the street where I used to. And and it was time to get her some big help. You know, she was 11 years old. She was, you know, 18-year-old vatos are crawling in and out of her bedroom window, and they're having parties, and, and we all know how that all goes. And uh, so I had to get her some big help, and I ended up having to put her in a treatment center. And we didn't know if she was an alcoholic, an addict, what was going on there. And what they told me there was that, the, that at that age, the gang influence was a 1,000 times more toxic than drugs and alcohol on kids like that because of 
because of the I got your back feature, the feeling of family. And her mom was busy being, being wonderful and Alcoholics Anonymous. So it was time for me to stop going to two and three meetings a day and go to one meeting a day, go to work and go home and be a mom to that kid. And, uh, and it, says right, it says that right up front in our book, you know, that a more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. So it's not that I, not that I don't come here, but I come here and then I go out there. I can't, if I'm only doing it in these rooms, I'm only half doing it. You know, I got to take it back into my home and, and do it there. And that kid's 41 years old now, and she just, uh, just a few years ago, I sat with my new husband and my mended family, my grandkids, who I got to be present at the birth of, of the oldest one, and he just started his second year of law school, and the youngest is uh, just finished high school, and I got to sit with all of them and watch her collect her master's degree. You know, and she's a clinical social worker, and she's one of those people who goes in in the aftermath of things like the Las Vegas shooting, and and the San Bernardino Terrorist Act, and she sits with the families in the aftermath and helps them begin to put the pieces of their lives back together. That's who she is. And I don't know if she is who she is because or in spite of me, but I know that because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I get to be a privileged witness in her life and in the lives of anyone who wants to be in mine. I'm so grateful for that. And... Uh, when I was five years sober, I, a guy crawled in my kitchen window in the middle of the night and, and he uh, tied me up with a telephone cord and he had a knife and he raped me and he robbed me that night in my apartment. I was five years sober. You know, that's not supposed to happen. I'm working 12 golden steps. What the hell? You know, you know that we are not... Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't make me immune to life. It sets me up on a foundation to be able to meet whatever challenge comes, sober and relatively uh, happy. I mean, I, you know, when that's happening, I'm not happy. I'm not like, yay, God. But, but I did notice that my first impulse was not to want to drink. My first impulse was, how do I do this? And he was in my room for a few hours, and I got away, I, and we ended up in a little tussle, and he ended up going out the same window he came in, and it turned out that I knew him. I'd actually watched his, him get his get sober 30 days before I did. I watched him get his life, his wife, his kids, and everything back, and then I watched him join the church and leave AA behind, and when he went out, he went out like that. And what I chose to learn from that is, while the big book tells us to be quick to see where religious people are right, Alcoholics Anonymous is the place where I learn the terms and conditions of my alcoholism. Church and all those general spiritual practices talk about spirituality in general, and it's wonderful, and it... And, and there's a great fellowship. I'm not somebody you're going to hear say, only in AA are we smart. Only in AA do we know the spiritual life. No, it's not true. But what we do do here in, in Alcoholics Anonymous is we take spirituality and we aim it right at alcoholism. That is our primary purpose. That's what we're doing here in this room. And then I can go out and I can practice and worship anywhere I want to. But I need to come in here to remember that I'm not one of those people who can go home after a Sunday sermon and have a glass of wine. Nor can I, after getting uh, some spirituality, uh, digesting some spirituality, drink the sacramental wine. I need to know that. I need to know and remember that. And here is where I do that. Talking to the new person and talking to people who have been walking with me all, these, all this time. You know, and building relationships. There was a trial that followed, and I don't have time to go into the whole thing. Just suffice it to say that, that, the, that there was a, 
a huge amount of forgiveness needed. And they, they tried to prove that it was because of who I used to be that I had been raped, and what we ended up proving was that I was no longer the person that came in here. And that was due to witnesses who, who had just known me. And, um, and the forgiveness came by remembering that prayer at the top of page 67, uh, where it says, though we didn't like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, are spiritually sick. And I knew that if I were to take a drink, I could be sitting right there in his very seat. You know, and what happened was we became two alcoholics sitting on opposite sides of the courtroom. Forgiveness never comes from sitting on a spiritual hilltop and looking down at somebody. Forgiveness and compassion come from seeing you just like me on the same, and on the same playing field. And <clears throat> when it was over, the detective who worked the case came to me and he said, I don't know who you were back then, I'm not even sure I want to know, but whatever it is you're doing now, keep doing it because it seems to be working. And that's Alcoholics Anonymous speaking for itself. And over, 30, over 31 years, I have had big jobs, little jobs, no jobs. My daughter's grown. My grandkids are grown. I'm married. We got, I got married when I was 21 and 51, so hang in there. <laughs> and, uh, and had a lot, of, a lot of different experiences through which I stayed awake and, uh, and found that these principles are as good today as they ever were. And um, it's not the only thing I do, but it's the first thing I do. Um, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to come out here and share with you guys tonight. And if you're new, I hope that you'll stay close and I hope that you'll read your own big book and get a sponsor and start doing this. I've made a lot of mistakes. The, the, uh, the distance <laughs> or the gap between, between uh, my efforts and perfection is a whole lot of grace. And we all get that um, if we're willing to do the work. Thanks for letting me share.